Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates with our number three. Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody. Glad you're with us with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, joined by the winningest coach in Titans franchise history. And this Sunday, he'll be inducted to the Titans Ring of Honor. 16 full seasons as the head coach. Only five losing seasons throughout that stretch. And that include a move from Houston to Nashville and we know the rest of the story. Jeff Fisher in studio with us here at 6th and Peabody. Great to see you, man. Nice to see you guys. I have a question. What's the bell? Oh, that's Paul's uh, bell. That your My bell. prop uh, for uh, emphasis. You want to ring the, the bell? Time. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, I, I will in due time. I've never had anybody else when, ring when you ask <laughs> When you ask one of your vintage questions that I might second guess while you asked it, I'm going to hit it. Right, that's awesome. Okay, good. Perfect use. Anything yep. that reminds you of old Paul, please That's ring right. the bell. Okay, right? got it. Well, old Paul, old Paul old. also would ring the bell because new Paul hasn't rung the bell in quite some time. <laughs> so it's been a while since he rang the bell, and now finally Coach Fisher and can ring the use. bell. Are you excited for this weekend? You have to I be. I am, yeah. You know what? Um, it's kind of building. It's like preparation week, I guess. But, um, you know, over the last couple of days, I've done, you know, I've answered some questions, and, and um, Jim White had a great piece. Uh, yeah. He, I enjoy, always enjoyed catching up with Jim. So, yeah, and then, you know, over the last couple of days, which has been fun, is um, just kind of refreshing, you know, going back and looking at the drafts, you know, our 94, 95, you know, those drafts. And um, not that I remember what I was reading late last night, but it was just kind of cool to see, um, you know, how this thing was put together and all those. Because as time goes on, you know, you remember – the guys that were making plays for you, but you don't remember the guys that you might have drafted in the late sixth or seventh round that might have been there on a practice squad or something like right. that for a little bit. So, you know, those are – and I think the, the reason that I, I was doing that is because they all contributed to the process. And so, you know, when you thank everybody, you'd like to make sure that, that you reach out to everybody. And you're going to have enough time to mention each and every one of those guys in your – Yeah, <laughs> this is going to be a two-and-a-half-hour halftime <laughs> rather than 12 minutes. The very rare two and a half hour yeah, halftime. Right. You know what strikes me about your teams and the the great Titans teams is the identity of those teams was very consistent with what you coached, what you wanted. There was a feeling around those teams, right? You don't often have that uh, in college football, the NFL, but you can go back to certain eras of certain teams professionally and in college and say, "This is the identity of that team." I feel like your teams had an identity. Well, they did, and you know, it was um, you know, it was wasn't by mistake. Um, you know, it was the type of players that that we wanted to you know to be part of our program, and um, so it's the type of defensive player, you know, the aggressive one, the 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 selfless players, those that really don't care about stats and they just care about their teammates, and so. Um, and, and coincidentally, it's exactly what I'm seeing on Sundays now out of this Titans team. 
And um, I'm, I'm, you know, I didn't mean to get into that that quickly, but it is really cool to see. And um, one of the things I said early, early in the week, I actually mentioned this last week, was um, after the victory in L.A., um, I, I said something to someone along the lines of, watch and see what happens to the Rams next weekend because this was not a Sunday afternoon loss. This one's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt physically. And it was the approach that we took back when, uh, when yeah, you, you're going to line up and you're going to hit them in the mouth and you're going to be physical and you're going to have that, that type of personality. And then you're going to go on the next week and get ready for the next opponent. But it was always fun to look back over our shoulders to see what happened to the team we played last week um, the week later. So, um, there's, a there's, um, you know, that's think those things aren't spoken oftentimes, right. but it is, it's a physical game. I can't give you an analogy. It'd be like pushing a, a car up a, a, maybe up a hill and, you know, you gain a yard and then you lose two and you gain a yard. And then by the end of the thing, you're just dead tired. You can't do it for a couple of weeks. And so it's just that it, it's, it's really fun to see that out of the group that Mike and John have put together. Jeff Fisher in studio with us on Outkick 360. Um, in reminiscing about your career here as the head coach, you've told the story about the move from Houston and the relocation hundreds of thousands of times. Do you, when you're just thinking about your career, as you sit back and you think about going into the ring of honor, are you thinking more about the early years here, or do you reminisce about the the recent years prior to the departure? What what comes up first? Because there were some good moments, including 2008. We had CJ on the show yesterday. Well, was it eight where we went one ten in a row? Yeah, yeah. ten in a row. And I just jumped out of a, uh, <laughs> a helicopter, <laughs> parachuted onto practice was, field the th- after the tenth win, Thanksgiving win over the Lions in Detroit. That's yeah, season. and then, part uh, of those ten. yeah, that's yeah, that was one. That was one of the hardest games we ever prepared for because they were winless, and that's a scary proposition. But yeah, we got that one, came back, and then just trying to break the ice a little bit, and um, you know, parachuted, landed on the practice field, nobody knew it, and I think it got a, you know, it might have made the newspaper but you could imagine that nowadays if something like that happens but nonetheless i it i did a good job because we lost to the jets the next day <laughs> so that was a good idea but um yeah i i just to answer your question um there's a lot of it that uh comes back i mean you know it's hard to compare you know big a win here or there during the course of a year over my career to the things that just seem to come up on a daily basis and the difficulty that um, we endured just pulling the whole thing off. Um, you know, and I, I guess I'm, you know, I might be somewhat of an expert on it because I've done it twice now. And it's, you know, as you look around the league, um, and we, Paul and I talked about this for years, it's about distractions. And, you know, you can make a case that there's distractions around the league, some some good, some very, very unfortunate, um, you know, and uh, but distractions can set you back a little bit and you have to be able to, you have to be able to deal with them and anticipate them and handle them. And, um, you know, I'm jumping around a little bit, but there's no distractions right now here with the Titans other yeah. than Derek's not playing. And uh, they realized uh, when Derek went down, I think what happened, you got, I heard you guys talk about the Jets, but, um, you know, you can go up against a lesser team like the Jets and during the week go, you know, well, we got Derek, we'll be okay. And then something go wrong. Well, now that they don't have Derek, um, 
they have to do everything and they've been doing that so um I, I'm, I'm just it's just been really fun to watch from that standpoint but i want to go back jonathan we went through a lot i mean there's no question and um as far as um you know the memories um they're they're all contributing factors um we we wouldn't have been where we were had this not happened uh but um the, to the listeners you will not believe some of the things that we went through you know what was the moment somewhere in the window after the Super Bowl where maybe you had, had come to terms with the loss but were appreciating the, the, the voyage of, through all of those distractions in, the, in Memphis and Vanderbilt and the new stadium and, and the, the big winning season. You know, maybe between <clears throat> you and Floyd where you kind of stepped back and appreciated just how far you'd come. Well, you know, it happened probably within a week after the Super Bowl. Now, I mean, go figure. That was the last time the Super Bowl was played. There was one week between the championship game and, and the, the kickoff the next Sunday. I mean, that was it. I mean, you know, since then and prior to that, I don't know how they did the scheduling, but since then, you know, there's two weeks between the championship game and the Super Bowl. So you couldn't imagine. One couldn't imagine just that and the fact that we were on the road in Jacksonville. We had to come back home. Um, and that highlight was, you know, the tour around the stadium and, and the thing, the thing, Adelphia being nearly sold out. And we came through on the buses and then we got a, I mean, I sent the coaches down there. I left the coaches behind and I had to go the next day with the team and the coaches had to stay behind game plan. I almost didn't get there because of the weather. So, so to answer your question, uh, it was about a week after um, Tuesday, Eddie had come in to my office or Wednesday. It was right after the parade. And Eddie had said, he walked in, sat down. He goes, I go, I thought you were going to go to Hawaii. And he goes, no, I'm leaving this afternoon. He goes, but I don't really want to go. And I go, what do you mean you don't want to go? You go in the Pro Bowl. You go to the Pro Bowl. You go out there. You relax. You have Mai Tais. You just chill, unwind, and get to hang with everybody. And everybody in the, in the world voted for you. And you don't want to go. He goes, no, Jeff. He goes, I want to start on next year right now. That was, the, that was exactly what he said. And so, you know, I think a few days after that, I was upstairs with Floyd, Paul, and, and we were talking about what we had overcome, but none of it matters because the only thing that matters is next year. So how, you really don't have time. How certain were you guys that you were getting back? Getting back from Atlanta? No, no, oh. getting, no getting back to the Super Bowl. With the group, because people like it, around the franchise maintain that the 2000 team was far more talented than the 99 team. I felt like that. I still feel like that. Um, but I mean, objectively, from just from an experience standpoint, I mean, we go into the two, into 99 playoffs. I think we had two guys with playoff experience. Okay, well, that changes the next year. So, but I felt like the team was was even better at that time. Um, I knew I didn't know we were going to get back mm -hmm. but i knew we were going to go far the, the biggest challenge for us as a staff is to keep the guys focused in week 13 14 you know because they want to start the playoffs now they want to start the run again and it was like i mean we had some close games i remember we had a close game in philadelphia we had two minute drive that you know and i got a new coordinator and dinger and we're starting we're getting to know each other and everything but I knew that was a that was a really that was a good a, a really good football. Does team. that change immediately? You know, you make that run, that long run to the Super Bowl. Does that mentality change that quickly? From boy, it's great to be here in the playoffs and have a playoff game. To 
let's get through the final three weeks of the season just to get to the playoffs because we know exactly what it's like now and we're ready for that action again. Well, it was probably a little bit of like it's really unusual for a team, a wild card team, to win at home the way we did and then go to then go to Indy and then go to Jacksonville and then come go to the Super Bowl. The odds are against you. It's easier to do it at home. So those last three or four games were all contributing to home field advantage in the one seed or something like that throughout the playoffs. I mean, you take a relatively inexperienced team in the playoffs. They'd never been there. Now, it didn't mean to say that you know they didn't work for it, but I mean, it took a time. But I think a team with that lacks playoff experience to a team that now has the number one seed. Uh, that's a that's a challenge, and that's a mental exercise throughout the season. Jeff Fisher, our guest, he's being inducted to the Titans Ring of Honor coming up on Sunday as the Titans host the Texans. You, you have roughly ninety seconds, right, for your speech, halftime. Yes, ninety, and I told you that because I told you to start writing it for me a week ago. You know it's ninety. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't can write to ninety. 90 I can I can write out a twelve oh. minute halftime, but I can't okay. write ninety. Okay, I can write ninety, but. I mean, Hutton, the speechwriter. Yeah, uh, the speechwriter. That very uh, not concise though, Jeff. Come on. All right, eighty-eight, two- ninety-two. Really? I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to tear it away from you. It's well, got to be. It has to be at least delayed, probably in the NFL, maybe thirty seconds, forty-five, maybe a minute, what? to where the Titans would be penalized. If why we are just they delayed so, the halftime? Why? Why won't they give the the team an extra minute, two minutes? I know the answer is TV, but. Oh gosh! I mean, where do you? I mean, knowing how the league thinks, it's where do you draw the line? You know, that's that's it. I mean, you know, people are saying, you well, know, you should, I think that, you that relates to, to all all everybody ceremony. I think you should have one. Oh, yeah, you but, should have one game where you can extend your halftime by two minutes to allow, especially if you're inducting two people well, into a similar ring of honor. to a college homecoming where they'll extend halftime. Yeah, by, to recognize the seniors. Yeah, we're going to introduce all our seniors. Yeah, they was, you, delay the, the kickoff yeah. and they extend it, you know, the halftime for homecoming. Yeah. You get one game, one exception. You have, any, you have any open seats in your suite on Sunday that we can we can take? Yeah, but um, you're going to be around. You might be changing diapers. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> but Chad's very I can do that. I'm okay. changing diapers uh, at home uh, right Hutton, now. Not so, so much. Yeah, Hutton's out. I'm in. Grandfather <laughs> Fisher. Diaper changer. Grandfather Fish uh, in studio with us. Uh, we're going to uh, continue to tell some stories we'll we'll discuss the nfl as of today as well uh with some nfl rules uh sean payton's comments about the taunting penalties Can't being way to too harsh this. we're going to get into a lot over the next hour with jeff fisher on outkick 360 We continue with Jeff Fisher on Outkick 360 here at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Jeff Fisher. He used to be a lot more active on Twitter than what he is right now. This is true. Took uh, on yeah. Jason Lockham Four on there. Where that was the best. When well, he yeah. reported well, that you were the, going to the, the uh, XFL. Yeah, but it, it, he was saying things that weren't true. Yeah, he always so does. I'm, yeah, so that's I take kinda, him on on there too. That's, you guys, I mean, that's actually probably the last time I got on. I'm, you know, enjoy it, but um, there was some other stuff that was sent out there that wasn't true that I had to clarify. And it was some. Unfortunately, it was um, some a, a quote by a former NFL head coach. You you haven't clarified the USC rumors on Twitter. Would you like to do that now? 
Uh, no. <laughs> little emoji here or there and let you figure it out. We'll, we'll see that in the hashtag, next... Hashtag fight on is yeah. what that means. We'll see that in the next flurry on Twitter. <laughs> that it comes. They I'll always you, come. I feel like your tweets come in like a baker's dozen and they go away yeah, for they do. You get on months, one right? uh, for a couple hours. And yeah. Then, yeah. Then you're done. That's yeah. the way to do Twitter, quite frankly. I wish I and could. And then put it away. Put it away for a few months. Well, I sat here while we're on break, and I don't know what you three guys were doing, but I was just kind of enjoying the moment. You guys were all working. You're probably tweeting, weren't you? Yeah, we yeah. were tweeting. Yeah. We, were. Okay. we were definitely tweeting. Right. Part of the job. Take we were reading Twitter and, and tweeting. Yeah. So you guys at the Metro Center facility, once upon a time, adopted a dog. She was not the most friendly dog. You're great with dogs. Betty. I was under Betty was her name, correct? No, I don't know. I mean, there's dog stories, but the dog that was, lived at Metro Center at the facility, I I wanted to ask if she was a secret from Bud because my perception was <laughs> that Bud didn't know about her. I'm now this thinking is, you're going to pretend like she didn't exist brought this at all. Up. It's really good because your your question is. Based on something I know nothing about. Good job, Paul. Okay. You're good job. But I will clarify for the record. Bell. I will tell you. I woke up one morning. I forget what year it was. Probably oh five, oh six. And I have a golden retriever. And I open the garage door, and my golden retriever knew exactly what happened. She runs out to the curb, brings the paper back in, sticks on, brings it to me, and 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 I feed her, and da 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 da. She comes in. With, I was still at the Tennessee, and so this is a good story. This is a good story. So she comes. She doesn't come back, and so I go out looking for, her, and there's two yellow labs and they're kind of walking around the front yard and neither of the labs have identification colors or anything and so i'm in a hurry to get to work i put the labs in the dog run and i brought my dog in well two months later after i could not find the owners i took the dogs down to the facility and we appropriately named both these dogs this is how close he is Bud and Nancy. And you said Betty? Betty, yeah. I, okay, I, so sort of and you can figure out it's to, Bud and Nancy. They're yeah, two cool. yellow, I should have known. That was two Nancy. yellow labs. And, and uh, basically, Brad Brown, our, our head trainer at the time, he took them and they just lived there. And so they would, you know, Brad would take one home Nancy for the weekend. Mean. I would take one home for the weekend. But the one thing we didn't check before we dropped them off was their, um, the marital status or the fertility status, if you will. And we had we had a litter of puppies. So, and then we have another litter of puppies. So anyway, Bud and Nancy have, now I have like 21 kids. Um, a lot of my friends had yellow labs uh, from both the litters. And Bud and Nancy were there for probably two, three years. Um, Brad Brown took Nancy back with him. We lost Bud. Uh, we, Bud got out somehow. We never found him. But the, the funny part about Bud, the Bud story, Bud was so big. You know that the turn uh, door there going into the indoor? You know that thing? Yes. That, okay. Well, Bud would just follow the players in there on the Saturday walkthrough walk and stuff like that because he hung out with the players. And, and um, he'd get his head caught in that door, and, <laughs> and it would stop. And, you know, and he'd just keep walking. And um, so this is – since we're telling stories um, – Coach Mack, if you're out there listening, he tells this best. But uh, Vince Young's just been drafted rookie minicamp. Um, typically, after the players are practice is over, uh, the head trainer will go out and and let the dog let the dogs out. So players are kind of walking in the locker room. Dogs are running around. So head trainer goes let the dogs out. Players are kind of stretching. Practice is over. Dogs are running. I'm standing up at a mic 
just like I am right now. And I'm talking about Vince and talking about the team. And Rachel Nichols is over there on on to my left with her back to the field covering the the Vince Young uh, deal and uh, and his first practice and so on and so forth. And I watch I watch this big dog, this big yellow lab, come out of that equipment shed and take off and then run around and just point goof around the players and then he just beelines it for the facility and he gooses Rachel Nichols <laughs> about 30 seconds before she's going on the air. And it was ju- it was the funniest thing I think I've ever seen. And um, so we sent a, a apology ne- a note to Rachel from Bud um, that next week. But, um, so... Um, Bud and Nancy. Bud and Nancy. Yeah, they were two just wonderful yellow labs. And, and the, you know, I'm a dog guy, as you guys know. She was mean. Bet, well, Betty? Betty was na- mean? Betty. I don't know. Nancy. Betty might have been a wizard hunt. Betty might have been wizard hunt or malarkey, but not me. There was no Betty in the building. Nancy, well, we I would not Jeff, we wouldn't tolerate. Know. We wouldn't know that, because the media's I mean, not though. allowed out there anymore since okay. you left. All right. I mean, <laughs> wizard hunt would have killed that dog. <laughs> Let's be honest. That dog wouldn't have survived. No access to the dogs if no, they're already now. None at all. Jeff Fisher uh, in studio with us. Um, Chad mentioned earlier this team uh, reminiscent of of the the attitude that your teams would bring. Uh, where did that start? That start with Eddie and Steve, and you just allow them to to lead the locker room. You just turn it over to the players, or well, I mean, I think coaches, you know. Coaches go into when you, you know before you get an opportunity is well, what kind of team you, what kind of team do you want to build type of thing and and that's where I think uh, Floyd and I um, you know worked worked so hard at that the type of personalities the the toughness and things like that I mean we're both defensive guys right. and you know and all that kind of stuff so I think it probably it started there um, and then you know when you get uh, you, when you get a player say we'll pick, take Blaine for example. Blaine, you know, he epitomized that, you know, and and so when when it's time, unfortunately, you know, or fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, when it's time to to replace Blaine, either because he's he's had a great career, he's retiring or whatever it is, you want a guy like him. And that's how when you replace when you lose players, you want to replace them with guys like the guys that you had. And so those were the characteristics we looked for. Most of the time, and, and sometimes you're sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you just don't get those guys. But that was the deal, and and you remind them constantly about how things are done around here. You want to get guys always that are self starters that you don't have to overly manage as the coach. But I think it's fascinating to for any head of any organization, but to know when to manage and when to step aside. And it, it takes knowing the individual, I'm sure, but. How difficult was that balance to know I need to step back and let this guy be himself right now because this is his process or now is the time where as the head coach I need to step in and either get them going or pull them back a bit. Was it a natural for you to know that or did that take time to learn with every individual player how to do that? Well, I mean, it's important to establish relationships with each and every player and and you know that's um, – you know, it, it takes work, but it, you have to love it. And I loved it. And, you know, I remember talking to coaches early in my career that, never, that didn't go through their locker room. And it's like, wait, you never go through your locker room? And no, no. Maybe you've been through it once in the last two years. 
what you know how do you you know it didn't last very long but i mean it's that it's that relation those relationships and that's where your foundation starts is with the relationships and then you know you go for you know, once you once you understand that you know what you got going in the locker room then you just go from there and 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 then you're going to have to have a good blend as the titans do of guys that have, are uh, experienced that have been there that guys look up to that can carry the torch for a while and sometimes you let them do it and but there are other guys most of the guys you have to teach how to do it and once they figure it out then the guys buy in first thought i have of you in the locker room is delivering a pizza for losing a bet on usc was that to you no with a ucla guy i think oh yeah was that the first time i you saw me in the locker room is that what you're saying during <laughs> during, during media you would generally stay out of there during media but you were delivering oh yeah no i wouldn't no that's practice, no during I, yeah no i wouldn't go in during the media time in the locker room that, but you this, were that was your pizza. time and their time yeah, but but you delivered but, a pizza a hot nice hot pizza to to pay off a bet yeah i mean that's that's it's just uh it's a it's a cool place and and um it you know people talk about it and but it is really i mean you could we talk for hours about it but um you have to have you have to have a good locker room it starts there and 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 they can you can create them you know all different ways i mean by building the getting the right guys or you could have some event that you rally around that you pull the guys together but um you can't ever lose sight you can't ever lose your locker room nor could you lose sight of of what you got going in there i want to get specific on one player a guy who's become a a really good friend of mine is albert hainsworth and i had a sit-down interview with him uh probably a year ago and we sort of went through his career and went all the way back to high school and this is a guy to this day who despises his high school football coach because he feels like he couldn't trust him and that he wronged him in the recruiting process. And he harbors that to this day and did not hold back about that person. Albert loves you and respected, you know, the way you coached him and the the relationship that you guys had. But this is obviously a player who was very temperamental. And, and we saw that throughout his career and it could run very hot and cold. So, was that something you realized pretty quickly, this is how I need to coach Albert? Or is that something, like you said, with relationship building that you sort of learned over time? Now is the time to sit back and let him be Albert, and now is the time for me to be the head coach and step in and, and pull him back. It's a great question, and, and I love talking about him because um, I saw him about six months ago. Uh, he had come out to TSU to see Eddie, and they had some stuff going on. And I didn't recognize him. I'm really happy for him. He's lost the weight. He's doing good. Happy. And, you know, I was just really happy to see him in that space that he was in. But, um, yeah, Albert was a little – he was different. I mean, he was a challenge, but it was nothing that that I didn't feel like I could handle. It's just, um, you you just have to take different approaches with him. And, you know, he was so talented. I mean, he was, he was really, really talented. And, you know, I don't, you know, I, you know, I've not got into detail of what happened at Washington and, and all that kind of stuff, but I do, he was a talented man, but he also had, he also had, um, you know, he had a breaking point. And, um, and by that, I mean, there's a tipping point where he could go over the edge. And then when he went over the edge, it wasn't, wasn't good because he was a big man. So you just had to make sure, you had to get, make sure he didn't. Did your experience with the 80s Bears team and some of those personalities help train you well, for management of, of Albert Hainsworth? Yeah, like, I, is that child's play to you when you see Albert Hainsworth based on some of the guys you played with? Well, um, 
oftentimes in life you learn how not to do things from people so that was <laughs> one of that those experiences but yeah it was a it was a, a very very unique locker room but um you know um you know guys come from they're all different and that's the thing they're just they're great people and they're competitive and they're talented and you know they got stuff and you just gotta you gotta make sure that you can keep their stuff you know to a minimum and and uh, when they, you just want to have that it, the, that relationship where they can come to you with anything, and you know, and I felt like that's what I, I provided down at the end of the hall for them. Favorite McNair moment? Whoa, um, the, gosh, there were so many. Um, it's the you know, it, it was what happened to him um, in two thousand after Kansas City. Um, at the Kansas City game where he got he just got lit up and spent a couple of days in the hospital we were going into a bye week uh, Steve and I've, I've told this on the record and um, and many many times but Steve was in a place where he was done and um, uh, he told me that he was done and and so I bought some time uh, fortunately through the bye week and and the next week I'm 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 shortening this story but the next the week to follow we went up to Pittsburgh and um you know prior to the a couple two a few days before the game I got him to the point where uh, he was still done in his mind he was not he was not coming back but um he would be a number two rather than number three and he was a number two and we went up there and unfortunately for neil neil got hit we were uh we were down by three or four you remember paul yeah. probably and neil got neil walked by me and his his helmet was on sideways and his his eye i mean he unfortunately unfortunately he overcame it but neil was in next week someplace and i turned and looked at steve and he looked at me and he winked and he grabbed a ball on the sideline might have thrown it three times and um, he threw a touchdown pass to Aaron Kenny at the end of the game to win with no time left, and uh, it was it was um, it was money, one of the my and, and I and I hate to I've really not done this story justice because I cut it short, but from a career standpoint, it was one of the greatest moments of my career. Um, going through what he was going through over that two week period, and to have it to have it end not the not the difficulties going through but to have that that moment in time in the way it did against in a win against pittsburgh was was my favorite what was the conversation like after that like did that complete it like was he back then or what was did you say okay Uh, when i I shook bill's hand and um and then um steve was kind of walking and it walked together and i remember he put his arm around me and uh, we had a few words, and and and, and the conversations. I mean, th- that was a chapter he put behind him. It, it you know, um, it's a it was a defining moment for him. And and I watch it from afar. Um, the quarterback position is really really hard, and uh, and it's not Sundays, and that's where people lose sight of it. It's not Sundays. It's it's preparation week. Because your quarterback has to have a perfect day of practice. If the ball hits the ground or he throws a pick, God forbid, to your your scout team defensive player that's not reading the card right, you're you're not going to play well next week. A quarterback threw a pick in practice. I mean, shit, we're not going to win. And and I mean that's extreme, but but it, there's so much to that. The, the guy's got to get up every morning and come to work and be his freaking best, and then do it on Sunday. And after three or four years, there's this moment in time, and, and I'll give you a list, 
Uh, but it's happened to a lot of guys. And it just was, they just kind of need to a reboot, as we say nowadays. And it was that Steve was just going through that. And, and, I, and, and I'll go back to um, when Eddie told me he didn't want to go to the Pro Bowl, okay? That, that, that two days after the Super Bowl, that was the, that, was the, that was the philosophy, that was the prevailing thing in the building was let's get back. And so this is the following season. This is that next season when Steve goes through this. And I realized that I had failed Steve because that was the approach we took and that was the approach he took. And, and I needed, I should have backed down and just kind of uh, done, been there differently for Steve because that moment in time for him was hard and he didn't know what he was going through. So, you know, there was, um, you know, uh, for the listeners, there's, you know, they think coaches, <laughs> you know, run out to practice and go into meetings and game plan and, you know, and put, three hours and eight minutes together on Sundays. There's a lot more that goes on to this. And um, the, this, the experience with, with both of those, with these two players, both Steve and Eddie, was extraordinary. But um, you got to be careful asking me questions because I can go away. Oh, and we love it. it. We um, love it. But it was, um, that, was the, my, that was the moment in time and, uh, with Steve and um, that. And then, you know, every 4th of July when I'm reminded. No doubt. Yeah, and we're going to have plenty of time uh, moving forward for plenty of stories with Jeff Fisher. Um, let's talk about the NFL today. Um, Sean Payton is saying, hey, uh, on the competition committee, the taunting rule that's being enforced right now is more punitive than what we wanted it to be when we voted this through. Like There, there, there are more flags to the taunting rule than what we anticipated. What do you, what do you make of the rule and how it's being enforced uh, as someone who knows the NFL rulebook front to back and sideways, uh, and, what, what, and, and yeah. is this something behind the scenes that the league can say, "Hey, quietly, don't throw as many flags"? Well, no. I mean, it's Sean. This is Sean. This is this is why I have such respect for Sean. And that Sean's, I believe, is a member of the competition committee. He was uh, okay. Yes, okay. he's on his way out. He's on his way out, out okay. this year. They just uh, changed a little bit. Okay, I haven't followed it, but I was on it for a long time. And so I know exactly um, why he's saying what he's saying because it happens uh, every couple of years. And I'll take you and, and let's just talk about Sean. Sean, Sean can't get a break. I mean, right. the, you know the you know the Minnesota non-call and you know and or the Ram non-call and you know hey that he may be in the Super Bowl and then even stuff as late as last weekend, which is uh, you know so Sean you know Sean knows what he's doing. There's no doubt. But what happens is, is there's a ground, typically a groundswell, whether it's over an off season or several off seasons, or there's kind of a push to do something. And so the league feels the push to do it. And so uh, it goes to the competition committee and they vet it and they figure it all out. And they sit there and the committee talks about all, all day long, the unintended consequences of the decisions that we're gonna make. And we're gonna spend all the time we possibly can looking at those things, but there may be some that we cannot find, okay? And so um, that's the perspective that he's coming from. But this is what happens. When it becomes important to the league, like making defensive pass interference a reviewable play, 
then you have a problem because the committee's opposed to it. The committee is warning the league about the unintended consequences, but the league just goes ahead and does it. So that's in essence what happened. And you saw how that worked and it did not work. And um, it was, a not, I think it's been um, one of the, one of the biggest um, blemishes on the fish aid, on the NFL, because I'm not going to put it on the fish aid department because you have to be, I'm going to be very specific uh, right now. This is an NFL deal. This is not an officiating deal. These guys are doing what they're told and they can only do what they told on. Uh, they're told based on the, an inter someone else's interpretation of the rule change itself. And that becomes an issue. I sat in a meeting with every single deep judge, anybody that has anything to do with pass deep, deep defensive pass interference in, in a summer officiating meeting, my year off, these were these were they changed the names, but they were back judge and field judge and side judges. So you got you got probably 60, 80 guys in the room. We watched 20 plays of defensive pass interference. Is it or is it not? And everybody got, everybody got to write it down. And it was barely 50 50 oh. on every on every play. <laughs> Okay, so and, and, and that was a really good exercise because what, what, the, what we did with the committee is we said, okay, here's what we got to do. We have to say, we have to just categorize defensive pass interference. Remember when that happened? It's an on bar, it's a cutoff, it's a restriction, yeah. it's a this or it's that, or it's not pass interference. And so you go, you spend the time to do that. So Sean, Sean's right, taunting. I mean, the thing that the, the, this official doesn't know when these two players are having a conversation is they might have been high school teammates. And they might have been giving each other, can I say shit on this air? They <laughs> no, might have been no, giving no, each other does. fun. <laughs> they might have been giving each other a bad time. And, and, it, and they may have said something yeah. that one official may have presumed to be offensive. But so that's what you're asking them to do is you're asking them to be subjective. Do you think that there was an actual problem before with uh, young football players mimicking the NFL with taunting? Because even Sean Payton said that was the genesis of having a rule was we didn't want we saw this was trickling down to football at lower levels of players taunting the opponent. But that was a genesis of the celebration thing too, it, which it, went well, away. Did, do you well, think that's an issue? Celebration went away because they celebration was getting on the verge of becoming taunting. Yeah. And so that's what yeah, I, I yeah, that's it. I mean, you don't want to see these kids, you know, when you're driving when you're driving down Hillsborough Road, you know, the Williamson County Cowboys. Taunting after a touchdown, you know. So you but buy that's that. What, oh, yeah. I definitely buy that. I, I buy that in a lot in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of different levels. But um, it, it, yeah, that's that in itself is important. But you know, you. I mean, as long as we can continue, we can separate the rules and the officials from a standpoint. I mean, we know what a false start is. I mean, the guy jumped off sides. If you don't call a false start, you, you didn't. Somebody didn't see it. Okay, somebody made a mistake. Boom. But the other stuff, you know, there's so much subjectivity to it that it becomes an issue so you end up banning things like you can't use uh this as a prop and that as a prop and a phone as a prop and this and that and you can't hide anything up underneath the goalpost after you score a touchdown so they listed all these things that were banned but one through 12 but you forgot to put 13 in there so that's not a you know so that's what they're dealing with but this is about respect for the game and in my opinion this is me now it's there's there should be a mutual respect for the game. It should be a respect for your opponent. And when you disrespect an opponent, then there should be an issue. Now, whether it becomes a rule 
as it has in the NFL, and they're gonna they're gonna use it, then that so be it. But uh, it's all about respect for the game, and that's what Sean's talking about. We got a lot of respect for this guy, Jeff Fisher. Uh, he was with us in studio when he found out he was going into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, and it's really cool to have him back in studio on the eve of him going into the Titans Ring of Honor this Sunday as the Titans host the Texans. Always great to see you. Uh, this will not be the last visit in here uh, at their Six and Peabody Studios. Looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to Sunday. Likewise. Thank Thanks. you. Congratulations. Hey, thank you, guys. So we're done? Yeah, we're, we're done. I, did I talk too fast, too much? No, that was perfect. No, it flew right. by. I, uh, I, I just, when, when 40 minutes feels like four, it's ten, Just 10 seconds um, or maybe a little bit more. <laughs> you write this for me. Yeah, I just want to thank you guys. I, I th- want to thank you guys for you know, all the things that, that we've done in the past and the, the relationships that we have. And, and it's been, a, I mean, it's been a really cool week for me. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking forward to, you know, remaining, you know, out there and doing some things here in town and, you know, and uh, so anybody wants to listen to my opinion and my stories, and we'll figure out a way to get them to you. Awesome. Thank you. Love it. Thank you, Jeff. Nice. Jeff Fisher has been our guest. We wrap up the show. The Thursday edition has flown by with Outkick 360. It's going to be a short final segment, but worth it with Jeff Fisher in studio with Definitely us. Definitely worth Throughout it. the last it's- hour. Uh, great seeing him and can't wait to uh, see he and uh, Floyd Reese um, and the, the family of Floyd be able to see this, the Titans Ring of Honor on Sunday. Really cool. Uh, looking forward to that as the Titans take on the Texans. Uh, not cool is watching Vanderbilt basketball right now, Chad. Um, you sent us the, the final score. I thought it was the halftime score. Yeah, we all did. So 30, I watched, 37 points total. Yeah, I watched a good bit of this game and um, – uh, I think it was on ESPN Plus, but Vanderbilt and VCU. And I saw the line, Vanderbilt's favored by seven and a half, and I'm thinking just by reputation alone of VCU, I thought that was an odd point spread. But then I go and see VCU lost to Wagner by 11, and they barely beat St. Peter's in their first two, game, the first two games. Vandy was down 23-22 at halftime, and they were down 48-32 with a minute left. Do the math on that. Mm. That's 10 points. In 19 minutes of the second half, VCU has a smothering style of defense that we all know, the Havoc defense. They, they're still doing that at VCU. But that is not a good performance uh, for Jerry Stackhouse in a make-or-break season in game number three. They handled their first two opponents easily. They look a lot more athletic this year. Scotty Pippen Jr. looks like the real deal. Um that's a bad performance, though, and uh, not a great start for Vanderbilt in a year where they need to at least challenge for an NCAA tournament spot. You know who's got excellent They need to be team? close. They need to be a bubble team at worst mm-hmm. this year for Jerry Stackhouse to feel secure. You know who's got an excellent team? Binghamton. You, you, uh, Binghamton. you sent us this. You yeah. watched a little bit of your alma mater yeah. last night. Columbia with a 16-0 run to end up in overtime with Binghamton, then in overtime had an 11-0 run to win. My wife said, they act, like, how do they have this on the plus? They have like... Well, they Camera, have everything. Cameras there and guys that they pay. Like, how is that financially feasible? You can and I find, said, really, for how many people are watching this, it's a fair question. It's amazing. You know, Lipscomb has every single game, volleyball, women's basketball, men's on basketball, will be on ESPN Plus, and they have... How is it financially schools feasible? Ma- the schools put it together. They put their own cameras together. They have their own broadcasters for so the game. So you just give it to the Plus. Yeah, and they just air it on the Plus. I mean, it, it's it, most of these... 
You can go. I'm amazed at some of the things that are on there. Just go to live at any point in time on ESPN Plus and see all the different options of low-level college basketball on the weekend, college football. These guys are called the game. Obscure sports that are there. You know, every type of major conference volleyball match. You can find on ESPN Plus it's too much, too much. Tennessee, Chad. Does Tennessee play Villanova tonight? No, they play Saturday. Saturday. Remember, it's okay. a big day on ESPNU. Tennessee oh, plays right. Villanova right. at noon. We don't know and then what at the meat. They play South Alabama in football. That's we know right. the bread and the bread. We don't know what the meat of that sandwich is. Yeah, Tennessee's got a games. week off because they play Villanova Saturday, and then Sunday they turn around and play either Purdue or North Carolina in that same classic basis on what happens. You need a week off after Saturday. those two. Well, they have a week off before. They oh, had a week before. to get ready. You need yeah. a week to get ready. 8 o'clock Either Eastern way. is uh, Patriots at the Falcons tonight. Tomorrow, we'll recap the game. We'll also be joined by Bobby Carpenter talking all things college football from OutKick.com. Looking forward to that. Brent Hubs from VolQuest.com is on the show. And John McClain. Want a quick he is preview? in studio with us quick tomorrow. Quick preview tomorrow. Antonio Brown uh, allegedly has a fake COVID vaccination card. That has been uh, that story's popped in the last trouble minutes. in River City. We'll discuss and, tomorrow. And the Bucks are saying they they checked the cards and they didn't catch that. Go figure. We're back at it tomorrow, two o'clock central across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box. Do please lock the locks.